So, we're on to um, Christ Jesus, our hope, in this uh, series that Mr. Woods has put together. I'd like to give you the punchline first. I've got five key messages that I'd like us to try and get through. And some of these key messages are really um, just a reference to Scripture because the Scripture very much speaks for itself. So there won't be a great deal of commentary on it. But I have five. Um, Christian hope has a scriptural link to faith and love. It is not a fruit of the Spirit. It is not a gift of the Spirit. It is a fact and has the power to change our entire orientation. That's hope. Christian hope makes Christianity distinctive from all other faiths. Our challenge is to embrace it and to celebrate it every day and in every circumstance. Number three, the fact of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus is the foundation of Christian hope. Number four, the true appreciation of our hope in Christ Jesus is our inspiration for service. It breeds holiness, joy, courage, patience, faithfulness, and dare I say it, optimism. We'll come back to that in a second. And number five, Christian hope is an anchor for the soul. Beautiful expression, we'll explore that. It breeds confidence in our faith. When we wear our hope on our sleeve, it is attractive to others and provokes them to inquire. So perhaps a lot for you to take in, but we'll deal with each of them uh, one by one. And uh, hopefully by the end we'll be celebrating the wonder of this amazing truth, Christ Jesus, as our hope. Um, I've come up with a definition of hope which is, um, in my mind, really simple. Hope is the expectation of good. Hope is the expectation of good. There's nothing particularly complicated about that. The opposite is fear. The expectation of bad. We're talking about hope, it's mentioned, I think, 160-odd times in the Bible, and fairly even New Testament, Old Testament. And I think there are two, um, although the same word is used in Hebrew and in Greek for the most part, um, there are two applications of the word hope. And uh, the first, which is probably the one we're most familiar with in modern-day English, is an attitude of mind. And it's about being optimistic. Um, and this is not the core of our study today, but it's worth touching on just so that we recognise that when we read the word hope, those 160 odd times in, in the scriptures, it has really one of two meanings and they can be quite different. Um, I was quite tickled to look up optimism and see what quotes we get about optimism. A pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity. An, op uh, an optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. How cool is that? Choose to be optimistic. It feels better. <laughs> um, maybe that's a little bit shallow, but some truth in that, some value in that. Here's a, here's a strange one. I was reminded my, that my blood group is B positive. <laughs> well, <laughs> a bit cheesy. Um, optimism is the madness of thinking all is well when it's not. 
And I think that's a dangerous one. We can be mindlessly optimistic in the face of things not going right. And that's not, that's not um, an appropriate attitude, I would argue, for a Christian to have. We're not talking about um, a hope that gives us a big cheesy grin and mindless optimism regardless of circumstances. That's not what we're talking about. But this attitude of mind, optimism, is something that's used in Scripture. So, a couple of references. Um, let's go quickly to Romans 15, verse 23. Um, this is the end of Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And typically, um, in his letters, he, he usually talks about some kind of greeting or some, time of, some kind of expectation that um, he would like to visit them. So he says, at the end of his, uh, towards the end of his book, now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through. That is an optimistic wish. Um, it may or may not happen. Second uh, Timothy 2 and 25. Completely different context, but the same concept, application of hope. 2 Timothy 2 and 25. Those who oppose him must you must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil and devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So it's an instruction from Paul to Timothy saying there's, there's things going on and you need to be bold in reprimanding them and if you do so, I hope they will have the desired effect. It's not guaranteed. It's uh, optimism, but it's optimism with some foundation to it. So that's one very simple application of hope and we can all relate to it because it's by and large the way we um, use it today. The other application of hope, which is really the focus of our um, meditation this morning, as Christ Jesus our hope, is um, something really quite different. And I've um, attempted the following definition. Simple. Um, hope is confidence today in a fact of the future. Confidence today in a fact of the future, or if you like, a future reality. Now you might feel that's a little bit contradictory because uh, the future isn't real until it's happening. It's the future. Um, but therein lies the uniqueness of Christian hope. It is having confidence that a, a fact will happen in the future because it's been promised um, in God's word. Some examples of that, Romans 8. Um, in fact, let's go to Hebrews 11 first, because that's um, really a key scripture about um, <coughs> hope. And in one of our key messages, we were talking about the link between faith, hope, and love. <laughs> Hebrews 11 and 1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for, and certain of, we do not, of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. So I have a strong link with faith, and it's being sure of what we hope for. Um, often we fall into the trap of, of always applying the first definition of hope and it's a positive expectation that may or may not happen. 
That's not what we're talking about. It's uh, the Christian hope is a guarantee of a future fact. And it's positive. It's not fear. It's hope. It's um, a future positive thing. And it's fundamental to our faith. It's having the confidence to believe that something will happen even though it hasn't happened yet. Being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't, of what we don't see. Go to Romans 8 and 24. Sorry, this is somewhat um, scattered a little bit, but um, I'm finding that, that hope as a study is quite interesting. Sometimes it's not wise to take sound bites out of different verses and just apply them, but actually I think hope lends itself to that. And provided we have these clear, distinct differences between what hope, uh, the word hope is used for, we can take verses, um, often take verses as standalone and apply them. Romans 8 and 24. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. There's a direct statement about hope being a um, confidence in a future event that hasn't happened. Um, Romans 11 is full of examples of Old Testament saints who um, lived by this kind of hope. But rather than go there, let's go to Romans 4 and 18, which is another um, version of the same thing, really, talking about Abraham. Romans 4 and 18. Against all hope... Abraham, in hope, believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, um, so shall your offspring be. So, again, just a, a statement about this Old Testament character who exercised um, faith in the kind of hope that we're talking about. It's a, a positive expectation without doubt. It's um, being confident of a future fact. And, of course, always in, in a biblical context based on a supporting promise or set of promises. So, with that kind of in mind, some background and a, a couple of definitions for us to think about, let's move to our um, first key message. And again, um, we'll say the key message and then we'll look at some, some supporting scriptures maybe with or without some uh, simple comments. So our first point was, hope has a scriptural link to faith and love. It is not a fruit of the Spirit. It is not a gift of the Spirit. Rather, it's a fact and has the power to change our orientation. So our faith, let's take faith, and it applies to love also, are very much governed by circumstances. So our faith can fail. Um, if we're got at by Satan or if we're struggling with circumstances and um, our faith can be variable. Um, our hope, it's a fact, that's not variable. <laughs> our appreciation of it might be variable, but the reality is it's based on God's promises, so it doesn't change. And it's not governed by our mood or our circumstances. Now, I think it's helpful to get that distinction between um, hope and faith and love, which um, in our lives, and I'm talking about our human experience, um, can be quite variable. 
Of course, 1 Corinthians 13, the last verse, that great exposition from Paul about love, it says these three remain, faith, hope and love. And the greatest of these is love, direct connection of the three. It's interesting to look at Paul's letters and um, they all have a, a common structure. You have some kind of opening salutation, you have um, the core of the letter, and then you have some kind of um, greeting and commitment perhaps to um, some kind of follow-up activity towards the end, often acknowledging his helpers as well. And in that salutation at the beginning, we often get a reference to hope. And let's just look, a couple, look at a couple of those. The first one is Colossians chapter 1. Um, verse 3 it says we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stood up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of the truth the gospel that has come to you so um, we're saying that that hope has the power to change our orientation, um, our attitude, if you like. And what he's saying in the Coloss to the Colossians is that um, we're celebrating your faith and your love, and it's a consequence of your conviction of the hope that you have. And um, what, what a, an amazing thing for us to aspire towards, that um, if we can get our minds around the reality of our hope being a fact, a future fact, uh, a reality that has yet to happen, it is really changing our orientation as to um, the things that we do today. Another one in First Thessalonians chapter 1, another uh, salutation from the Apostle, First uh, Thessalonians 1, 2 and 3. We always thank God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers. We continually, continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. You have um, the work produced by faith, your labour labor prompted by love, and... Um, your endurance inspired by hope. If there's a, a takeaway from my message, it's be inspired by the fact of the hope that we have in the person of the Lord Jesus and what he's accomplished for us. It's the future guaranteed expectation that we have. Finally, 1 Timothy 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God, our Saviour and of Christ Jesus our hope. Let's not lose sight of the title Christ Jesus our hope. Um, this all um, centres around the person of the Lord Jesus, who he is, what he has accomplished and as we will see the fact of his resurrection. Number two, um, Christian hope makes Christianity distinctive from all other faiths. Our challenge is to embrace it and celebrate it every day and in every circumstance. And there's two passages I'd like to read without comment. The first is uh, 1 Peter 1, the first eight verses of 1 Peter 1. Um, and then we'll go to 
the first eight verses of Romans 5. And these are full of delightful things that are associated with um, the reality of the hope that we have. So 1 Peter 1, Peter, an apostle of Christ Jesus to God's elect, strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and by his blood, and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us a, a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. That's our living hope. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last times. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. They have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe. And that is the stuff of um, faith motivated by hope. Romans 8, sorry, Romans 5, verse 1 to 8. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace. What a brilliant expression. We have gained access by faith into his grace. It's a lovely thought that we have access um, into God's grace by what the Lord has done, in which we now stand, and that's where we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by his Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the, the stuff of the Christian hope, which is unique and distinctive from all other faiths. Um, I don't know whether you have a default argument when confronted with someone from another faith. Um, quite often we're thinking, oh, there's an opportunity here. Where do I start? Um, I put it to you that a really good place to start is hope. And if we can ask our friend to articulate the hope, what hope does your faith give you? Um, it won't be very long before they run out of stuff to talk about. And in contrast, we have such a, an amazing hope. And again, it's not the hope of uncertainty, it's the hope of a guaranteed future fact. 
I just leave that with you. It's a, it's a, a strategy that perhaps works if we get our friends onto the topic of hope, hope which differentiates us clearly from um, other faiths. Number three, the fact of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus is the foundation of Christian hope. And of course, we go to 1 Corinthians 15 for this. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Uh, the first fruits means the promise of things to follow. And it's the um, fact of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus that is the basis of our hope in him. First Thessalonians 4 um, Interestingly, you have the impression that this church was worried about those people who died and um, they died in Christ, but um, were uncertain about the future. What happens to their hope, the dead? And in response, Paul says, Brothers, um, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again so that we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. What an amazing part of our hope for um, those of us who have friends, relatives who are in Christ. It's the um, positive expectation of a future fact, which is we will um, see them uh, when the Lord returns. And then the next chapter in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, this is verse 8, but since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as the breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together in him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Um, the hope of the resurrection, the future hope of salvation from um, the presence of sin is an inspiration to us individually. And Paul is saying to the Thessalonians, I understand that you're struggling a bit with these truths, you know, as to what's happened um, or what will happen to those who die before the Lord returns. We'll encourage each other with the reality of the hope that you have. Um, that when the Lord Jesus comes back, then you'll be uh, restored. Number four, the true appreciation of our hope in Christ is our inspiration for service. It breeds holiness, confidence, joy, courage, patience, faithfulness and optimism. I remember <clears throat> um, years ago I used to work with a Christian and um, he filled the non-Christian's stereotypical image of a Christian as someone who had a very dull life and uh, a long face and um, David his name was he used to come in and people would dread him coming into the office and I can remember my boss we were waiting for him once he says David yeah come in but leave the cloud outside <laughs> he seemed to be going around with this cloud <coughs> over his head of um, you know pessimism about anything that's not the orientation of a Christian who has embraced um, the, the true hope that we have. 
First John. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now that we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him, in himself, purifies himself just as he is pure. It's coming back to this inspiration thing again that we have um, great things to look forward to in, in the hope that we have in Christ Jesus and it should impact our demeanour and the way that, that we are. Titus 2, 11 For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present day. We should be distinctive and uh, that should be evident in our behaviour and um, we're coming to the, the last message which is uh, it being provocative but um, just a challenge for us as to how much is our life characterised by the hope that we have. Do we think about it every day? Do we allow it to uh, inspire us? So we come to... Um, our last key message, which Christian hope is the anchor for the soul. It breeds confidence in our faith. When we wear it on our sleeve, it is attractive to others and provokes them to inquire about it. We'll go to Hebrews for a couple of verses here. And um, we're actually back where we were last week in, in uh, with David, um, David Woods and his uh, discussion of Jesus as our great high priest. It's kind of telling David that before his ministry, a couple of days before his ministry, I don't know what prompted me to do this, but I sat down and read Hebrews in one sitting. And I've never done that before. And it makes a big difference to our understanding of Hebrews. Um, we often dip into Hebrews for deep doctrinal stuff, which is what it's all about, and that's, that's what we should do. But I would just encourage us to um, read Hebrews in one sitting and, and recognise it's a letter from somebody, we don't know who, to um, converted Jews. And um, it's where we learn about our opportunity for collective worship um, and also the role that the Lord has as our great high priest. Just encourage you to do that, a bit of a side thing, but it only takes 15 minutes and you get quite a different um, perspective on the book. Um, so let's go to he Hebrews 6. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater um, for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to fail, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain 
where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Um, We have the privilege of serving as God's people as a community. And we serve in the holy place in worship. We also have access to the throne of grace, which is also in heaven. And it's on the basis of the hope of our um, being accepted through the sacrifice of the Lord that we can do that. Um, It's the anchor to the soul. Um, Psalm 23 talks about um, the, the good shepherd restoring my soul. And um, often when we're in the most difficult places in life, um, through difficult circumstances, we're really downcast and our soul needs to be restored. And this expression, and where it's found in Hebrews as well, relating to our access into God's presence as his people through the person of the Lord Jesus, and it's all a demonstration of the hope that we have. If your soul is downcast um, and it seems to be a little unstable um, because we're being rocked by circumstances, maybe doubt, then let hope be the anchor of our soul because that is immovable. Christ Jesus, our hope, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Another Hebrews verse. And while we may... um, be tossed backwards and forwards, he is rocks, rocks steady. And that's the basis of our, of our hope and the anchor to our soul. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Um, we, all, we all have the capacity to encourage each other if we're embracing the, the hope that we have. And again, I would encourage us to do that internally. If um, uh, we're faced with difficulties, it's often, if, it's often a real challenge to know what to say, isn't it? When someone is struggling with a specific thing, and we know we're not um, immune from from trouble because the Lord said that we wouldn't be um, but we have the opportunity to encourage each other and while I'm down and you're embracing and celebrating the hope that you know about then tell me about it and together uh, we'll be encouraged and our final verse is First Peter 3 and 15 <coughs> very familiar verse But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone ask you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do it with gentleness and respect. I like to use the word provocative alongside 1 Peter 3 and 15. Because it's not about us telling. It's about um, others asking. And what prompts them to ask? Well, it's our provocative lifestyle. And that doesn't mean we're living in some kind of radical way. It means we're optimistic, in a, not in a, a mindless way, 
but on the basis of the hope that we have. And um, a very, very typical example of this is when perhaps we are going through a difficult time in life, maybe a bereavement, maybe an illness, maybe unemployment, whatever it might be. And our behaviour during those difficulties can be very telling to those around us who don't have faith. And how we um, respond to those trials um, can be in itself a powerful testimony. And I'd like to think that that's really what Peter was talking about. That you need to be ready with an answer so that uh, when someone asks you to explain the reason for the hope you have, then you're able to do it. And why would they ask you? Because they can see it. Um, it's a, a great aspiration for us. It's the um, genuine impact of us fully embracing the reality of the hope that we have in Christ. May God help us to do that.